Good morning. All right. We're going to talk back to the preacher today. That is good to hear. Hey, uh, so we're going to be in God's Word today, but we are currently going through a series called The Gospel, Spiritual Growth, and Family. And last week we taught on the gospel and what it what the gospel is and how important it is for us to understand the need that we have to not do things based on our own strength, but that Christ came and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And today we're going to talk about spiritual growth, okay? And for some of you, spiritual growth may not be something you've heard before, but it is this idea that when God has redeemed us, when we've been justified by what Christ has accomplished, he gives us his spirit. And when he gives us his spirit, there's some evidence in that, that we start to grow. We start to look more like Jesus over time. And this is done because the work of God, because the spirit of God is inside of us. But I just want to give you a disclaimer as we jump into this today. And, and I don't know how to say it. I, I apologize if this is too crass. But the vision of spiritual growth, as I studied it this week, it keeps coming to mind that the vision of spiritual growth sucks. Here's why. There's no instant gratification. There's no, oh, we had Pentecost happen, you know, like there's no, it's not a one and done, but it is this continuous thing that God is doing a work in his people. And it's cool when you see someone grow and people take one step forward. But to be honest, as people grow into the likeness of Jesus, as they take steps progressing, they also take steps backwards. And so that's part of what this vision is to help us understand what our responsibility is in this, as we're helping people grow into the likeness of Jesus. And the irony in this is as we help others grow into the likeness of Jesus, we grow into the likeness of Jesus if we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. But this is what we're aiming at here at COV. We're aiming at allowing you to have the opportunity to not just hear the word, but to put it into practice for the right reasons, and that leads to spiritual growth. It leads to sanctification. So in years past, I've worked in many different churches, and I've experienced church, as you will, as a volunteer, as an intern. I was an evangelism pastor, an associate pastor, an interim pastor, a church planter, and now a lead pastor. Welcome to my LinkedIn profile. There you go. And in that time, I really wanted to see if discipleship, this idea of making disciples of Jesus, could actually happen within a church community. Now, when I say within a church community, don't think the steeple, think the people, okay? Within the church congregation, if you will, I didn't know if it could happen because I know discipleship happens. For a lot of us, it happens where? In college, through parachurch ministries, we hear of discipleship, one-on-one -on -one connections, opportunities for people to connect with other people. We maybe see discipleship in parachurch ministries where there are these ministries that are supposed to supplement the church, but they're not the church. So I wasn't sure if discipleship could actually happen through the structure of God's church, at least the way that we had been doing it, if you will. But you need to know this about me. I believe with all of my heart that the church of Jesus Christ is God's plan A, and there's no plan B. It is his bride, the people who are included in Christ, who gather to worship him and to be equipped and then scatter throughout the week to make much of his name is what God intends for his church. There's no missionary organization or Christian school or parachurch ministry that Jesus is alluding to when he says in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, 
and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church, ecclesia, this Greek word that means the movement of a people, the movement of God's people are in relationship with one another as disciples of Christ, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's like, I need to get preacher voice up in here. Because that is so important that we understand that his church is his bride and Jesus wins and I'm with him. But sadly, a lot of what I've experienced in church seemed to not really focus on getting the gospel into the hearts of men or making disciples of Jesus as much as it felt like keeping an organization going. Much of what I had witnessed Much of what I had read about, much of what I had learned was more about keeping the doors open of the organization and running the main goal of a 501c3 nonprofit church was to just continue to exist. But Jesus said the gates of hell will not overcome it. So we don't have to try to keep the church open. Jesus wins. I read ahead. It's good stuff. But no one actually said to me that the goal was to keep the church open going or keep the doors open or have enough people to make it worth it, but it seemed like all the resources, all the time, all the, all the things people would pray for, all the effort that was placed was to just kind of keep the organization going. See, if you've worked in ministry, you've either heard or said, well, Sunday's always coming, which it is. And for me, a young person um, back in the day, <laughs> A young person in ministry, it was easy to become disillusioned. It was easy to become cynical towards what we call church. Because for me, it seemed as if all that meant was the building and the worship service on Sunday morning. That is what church was doing. You said it. Someone asked you, hey, what are you doing on Sunday? Oh, I'm going to what? Church. But the irony about that is the church is not the steeple, it's the people. Asgard is not a place, it's a people. We need to understand that God is the one that's at work, and it's through his people, and we don't just meet on Sundays. We are his church every day of the week. So myself and a few others, some who actually know how to say amen when I say something good, (laughs) maybe probably felt the same way that I did, and we together started to meet. We started to meet in a living room. In fact, it was Pastor Mike's living room. And eventually, it became a backyard when we outgrew the living room. And then we eventually outgrew the backyard, so we started to meet in a worship center. But this Sunday, or in our case, Wednesday night, ooh, our worship gathering was not really church for us, as it was the celebration of what church took place all week. Church was, for us, was gathering, meeting, and investing in other people with the goal of seeing spiritual growth. Discipleship is the name of what Christians are commissioned to do, but spiritual growth was and has always been the benefit, consequence, and goal of our discipleship. That's, we don't just disciple because Jesus told us to, we disciple because this is the means in which people start to grow more into the likeness of Jesus, not just by us discipling someone but by us being willing to pour into someone, and guess who grows? We do. So instead of getting excited about how many showed up to a gathering, we celebrated where we saw people taking steps towards obedience to God through his word, and we believed that it was led by the Holy Spirit. And we were doing this. We saw individuals go from death to life to maturity, and we were able to get to witness and be a part of spurring one another on 
in their spiritual growth. And we brought that culture here to Church of the Valley. Sorry for those of you that were here before us. Where the demographics were far different than when we're a church plant, we're mostly just young adults and young families. But here we have people of all ages. We have people of different demographics. We have people of of different nationalities. And we came together because we believe that spiritual growth isn't just for a certain type of person. It's for God's people. So hear me. As you're hearing this, as you're hearing this kind of explanation uh, historically of the church plant that merged with COV and we became COV proper, I don't want you for a second to hear that I'm not saying that you can or can't grow. What I'm saying is you absolutely can grow because if you have a pulse or you have breath in your lungs, you have the opportunity to grow more into the likeness of Jesus. So I don't want us to think that you are excluded in this or that it's just for certain people. If you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as your sole means of justification, if he is what makes you right, if you plead Jesus when you are accused of being a sinner, if you are adopted into the kingdom of God, if you are, Christianese, saved, if your belief in Jesus has led you to repentance and trust of Jesus Christ, then you get to grow spiritually. Because true biblical evidence of your justification is your sanctification. You do grow. I'm sorry, it just takes place. If you've been redeemed, you're being reformed. You're being transformed more into the likeness of Jesus But here's the truth, this is rarely, if ever, clean. It's pretty messy. Mistakes abound. Ultimately, you progress with a lot of field trips on the way, if you know what I'm saying. That's why this vision isn't easy, it's not pretty, but it's what I'm convinced, based on the Word of God, is eternal and necessary for us as a community. See, I don't want to spend my life in a church context aiming for things that don't matter. I don't want to spend my life in the church context aiming at things that I can do in my own strength rather than the Holy Spirit working through us. But with this vision of spiritual growth, as we were a church plant, we kind of did everything a little bit differently. We met on a non-holy time because it wasn't Sunday morning, whoa, which meant that many of the people that were attending what we were doing really weren't part of the community that we were creating They were attending, and they were either kicking the tires of what we were doing or supplementing their spiritual knowledge and their community. And even though we felt like that had some type of benefit for the people that were coming, that's not what the church does. That's what a ministry does. Not an ecclesia, not a gathering and movement of God's people. That's not what the church does. The church helps people grow through accountability. So eventually, we, through what I believe undoubtedly, with all of my heart, of a movement of the Lord's will, brought us, if you know, we were known as Compelled Together, together with Church of the Valley. And we're now part of Church of the Valley, COV. And we meet now on Sunday mornings. We have a building in campus that must be managed. Uh, We've grown with a staff of committed followers of Jesus of 11 We currently have seven installed elders. We brought on four full-time missionaries, three who were part of this community, and we kicked them out to go serve somewhere else across the world. 
and we get to be the sending church for. We have resources and community who's growing in their sacrifice and their giving. We have more children in this church than I think churches three times as large as us generally have. We are full of young adults. The generation that every time I read, I'm told that that generation doesn't care about organized church. That generation as far as the gospel is concerned, will not work on them, and yet I'm seeing that not to be true. We have people who are coming to worship with us from every generation. And even though all of what I just said are things that we can celebrate, they are not the point, church. They are not the goal. They are the symptom of this vision of seeing people grow more into the likeness of Jesus by obeying God at his word for the right reasons. Hallelujah. So when we came here, the stakes got much higher because when we started as a church plant, we were essentially a sanctification experiment. But now we have the responsibility of spiritually being responsible for a congregation that had two different, very differing uh, cultures. And so I get to be a shepherd for not only the Compelled Together community, but now an existing community that had their own ethos, their own culture, and their own way of doing things. Um, let's just be real. That first year was really hard. Does anyone remember this if you were here? Can you, can you testify that it was hard? Testify! And change is hard for people. It's part of the human condition. People do not really like change. But we were unwilling to give up on this vision of spiritual growth of Christ-likeness, of sanctification. So what do we mean when we say this term spiritual growth? Here's, here's a working definition. Spiritual growth is the working of the Spirit of God, capital S, Holy Spirit. Spiritual growth is the working of the Spirit of God through us displayed by obedience that leads to maturity. Because if we have trusted Christ, we are growing as we obey his word. So not only is God involved, God is the active ingredient in all of it. He's working through us. He's growing us. He's giving us the mind and will to obey. Can you believe that? We can't, nor should we ever, take credit for what God is doing. But I catch myself wanting to take credit for what God's doing literally all the time. Anyone else? So I say this a lot. I'm going to say it again. You didn't save yourself. Do you hear me? And you don't grow yourself either. That's why it's so important that we see obedience as a work of the Spirit of God rather than us being a better person or sinning less. To be led by the Spirit, or as Scripture talks about often, to live by the Spirit means that you are not being led or living by the flesh that you once were. Your flesh is the natural person of who you were before you came to Christ, but the flesh still resides in you. The flesh is what you lived by before Christ made you a new creation. But as we say very often in Ephesians 2, but God intervened. Hallelujah. And when he does, when he intervenes, he makes us a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We are a new creation because of what Christ has done. We're not a better version. We're not updated in our iOS. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the great thing about the Spirit being the catalyst to our spiritual growth is that if the Spirit of God is working in us, that means that he is in us. 
And I don't know if we all understand what a big deal that is. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14 about the Spirit of God, he says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, a seal, not, uh, 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 not a seal, okay? The promised Holy Spirit, that better not be your takeaway, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah, Paul. What a worship leader. So spiritual growth, a.k.a. sanctification, is the evidence of the spirit of God residing in you. Not how good you are, not some external action, but because of your growth, because you're progressing in transformation, the fruit of the Spirit inside of you is simply known as simply that, the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're dating someone, I guarantee you want them to look like that, and they want you to look like that. And it is this work of God by the Spirit of God and the sanctifying fruit of God that not only proves that God is real, but proves that God's really in us. So instead of watching for what the world considers growth, external accolades, a numeric growth of something, or people doing things in their own strength, we're looking to see at COV where the Spirit of God is actually at work in you. This is harder. This isn't as obvious. And this isn't at all what I've been taught directly in ministry. So because of that, there are times I get pretty down. I, I, let me just be real. This week was really hard for me. It was a hard week. I've had close friends of mine die in the past month, three of them. And I've hated it. And, and as a pastor, we are spiritual firefighters, okay? The house is on fire. We're running towards it. We don't get to treat death the same way that everyone else does. We don't get to grieve necessarily the way that everyone else does because we generally have to run towards it. And it's been pretty hard for me. I've been pretty down. I've been pretty depressed, if I'm honest. Can you believe the guys with the Spirit of God inside of them get depressed? And this idea of spiritual growth, it's hard because we take a step forward and then we take a couple steps back. But I started thinking of what Jesus commissioned us to do, and unfortunately, there are days when I'm caring way too much about what I think, and I start to, maybe I don't say it out loud, but maybe I start to act as if the whole idea of making disciples, maybe it's not worth it. There are times where I watch what everyone else is doing, and they're doing the complete opposite of what I think we're supposed to do, and all of a sudden I go, well, who am I to think that I'm doing it right? And yet, isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't he come to the world that had made the law the point rather than the God who gave the law? Don't we have gospel accounts, four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that point to exactly how Jesus discipled people, how he walked with them, and how those people were obedient to God's word and led by the Spirit, and then we have the book of Acts that shows how God's work through them changed the world for the glory of his name. Didn't Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, commission his disciples in which you and I are included in if we've repented and trusted Christ to make something? 
In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he starts with therefore. Jesus says, therefore. There, what's the therefore? Therefore, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, verse 18. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. He called us to make disciples. We define disciples as disciplined pupils of Jesus in relationship. That's what discipleship is. Disciplined pupils of Jesus in relationship. And when we make disciples, we are modeling and training others to obey God at his word. But this doesn't come from some formula or some worldly wisdom, but from individuals obeying the call to make disciples by giving up time and giving away what they have learned and obeyed from God's word. But this requires all of us, church. So wouldn't I be disobedient to God if as a disciple of Jesus I didn't do what I could to make disciples of Jesus? If disciples disciple, which we say a lot, if disciples disciple and I am not discipling or being discipled, maybe I'm not what I think I am. If the spirit of God resides in me, wouldn't investing in others not only be possible, but be a priority to me as I'm led by the Spirit of God? See, discipleship was the means in which God's people truly grow because it requires obedience. It requires the Spirit. It requires application of the Word of God to make people disciples of Jesus. So when we talk about discipleship, which I'm sorry, we're always going to be talking about discipleship because Scripture does, it's because God commissioned, God's commissioned and intentional means of growth for his people was to be in discipleship relationships. See, it may take a village to raise a child, but it takes a community to raise a disciple. And so we collectively, as God's church, his community, get to engage together in accountability and care for one another to spur one another on. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Love and good deeds, two things that only the Holy Spirit truly produces in us. So God's plan A was his church, to know Christ, to show Christ off, and to grow into the likeness of Christ. Guess what? It's all about Christ. So as Ruth read, turn with me to this passage that we've studied we studied it before. In fact, the first book that I taught here at this church was Ephesians, and we studied this passage, but I want to always point us back to keeping this in front of us as a community. Ephesians 4. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and this book is such a great example of God addressing to the church who God is through Paul. So the first three chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, they are theology. Chapters four through six are what do you do with that theology? What do you do as followers of Jesus? So here's what it says in verse 11 of chapter four. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. This is one of those verses that many of us have heard a lot. And many of us have obsessed over when in a way we weren't really looking at what the point of the passage is. See, Christ gives, we know that, God gives constantly, but what did he give? He gave gifted people in roles that would be responsible in his church, shepherds and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles. 
That's what Christ gave. And today you have currently two pastors in this church that God gave to you. Sorry, we're a gift. <laughs> and yet, we were given for a reason. At Church of the Valley, we put a very high responsibility or a very high uh, understanding and, and pointing us to our responsibility as shepherds. We want to focus on this responsibility because we think if you lead people, community groups, ministries, on staff, if you elders, if you lead people, you are called to a higher standard. Sorry, but it's not perfection, but a standard that isn't one that you can do on your own, one that requires the Holy Spirit to show up and show off. Usually, people stop when they read this passage and they spend all their time at, that Jesus gave and want to itemize the different roles and does this, does this still happen in the church and blah, blah, blah. What we're going to do, because we're a people that love the Bible, is we're actually going to get to the point of the passage. So verse 12. So why did he give those gifted people and those roles as a gift to the church? To equip. Say equip. It's like cool whip, right? Equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Okay, I don't nerd out in original languages as much as some people that are on staff, but I loved what equip meant. The very first definition of the word equip, here's what it means. It means to make adequate. <laughs> wow. We may think that sounds like a low bar, but that is the bar. If you're going to serve in God's church, you need to be made adequate to do so. To equip his people, not just any people, not religious people, but his people that are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we are equipped, we are here as pastors to make you adequate to do the works of service for his people. To do what? To do acts of service. To do the works of service. To serve God by serving others. I know so many people are like, I love God, I don't like his people. Well, that's cool. You may like me, but if you don't like my wife and you tell me, we ain't friends. Ooh, that was good. So service for the right motives is the secret sauce to growth. Did you know that? Serving with the right motives. See, you could be serving in the church your entire life, but you do it for the wrong motives, and literally what you did was in vain. But if you serve for the right reasons because you want to build up the church, you want to make much of Jesus, you want God to do a work in and through you because you are dependent upon him, it is the secret sauce to growth. So, so that, he says, that the, that the body of Christ may be built up. <laughs> I don't actually think this is talking about what, how most people preach it. I don't believe this is talking about gathering more people. I believe this is about making the people adequate and developed to do the work that God has for them. This is part of the responsibility of the church. This is what we at COV want to be about, about making you adequate. Sorry, making you adequate to do the works which God has created you to do. To equip, to train, to develop people to be disciples of Jesus, using their gifts for God, where? In an accountable community. So he says that the body of Christ may be built up, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, what's that word? Mature. 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He starts with, until we all reach unity. Okay, you ready? There is an expiration date for our involvement as a church of equipping people. Are you ready? There's a day when we don't have to do it anymore. Are you ready? It's when Jesus comes back. But until then, we lead people towards unity, which isn't just a tolerant attitude towards one another, but this unity that the Bible speaks of is being unified by the belief that Jesus Christ is our sole means of justification. It's because we have a relationship with him. And he continues, and the knowledge of the Son of God. See, this term really means theology. This is what Luke meant when he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Theology. The understanding of who God is. If you go, well, God is who I want him to be, and you divorce the word of God from who, he, who God actually said he was, you've missed it. So he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to partnership, konania, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Listen, we get this verse out of balance all the time. We make it all about the Bible, and then we skip the other stuff. Or we make it all about prayer, and we don't do anything else. I know we do this out of balance generally in most churches. But we ought to be a people that are willing to search the scriptures to see what God says about himself what Jesus did, did and said, and how scripture was put together so we don't have to guess at who God is. Or base our understanding of who God is based on our feelings or our wishful thinking, or even worse, culture. I praise God for not making it so his people had to guess. And Paul continues in verse 13, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Oh, to become mature. I'd say someone who strives for unity and relationships in the church and has a deep abiding knowledge of the Son of God, those are two distinguishable marks of a mature Christian. Not the only ones, but that's what maturity tends to look like. And ultimately, we as followers of Jesus are growing progressively in our maturity. Listen, if you had a child and no growth took place in that child, you would think something was wrong, right? And yet so often people don't grow in the church and no one asks any questions. Every Christian who is committed to Jesus is growing, maturing, and becoming more like Christ. Which again, this is not very instantly gratifying. This is messy. People take a step forward, then they take a few steps back. But this requires patience of those who are investing in others. This takes love for God and others, which is only supernatural. This requires those of us who are maturing to be willing to give up time. This means that as we invest in people, we need to strive for peace. We need to point others to the joy in Christ, not in circumstantial happiness. This requires you, Christian, who want to be about your daddy's business and make disciples of Jesus, requires a faithfulness that cannot come in your own strength, but from the Spirit of God. To invest in others the way we ought to, we will have to be gentle with others, even when they disappoint us, because they and we disappoint. We will need to exemplify a goodness that mirrors Christ and not our old selves on repeat. And we will grow in self-control as we do life with others who are like sponges and they see everything we do and they pick up on it. 
it's interesting to me that what God produces in us as we invest in others is simply the fruit of the Spirit. That doesn't come from seminary classes. It doesn't come from lectures or a TED Talk. None of those will produce the fruit of the Spirit. No life hack or legalism will make you righteous. No attempting to do good will make you gooder. It is a work of the Spirit of God in the hearts of God's children and through the leading and convicting of His Spirit that we obey unto maturity. That's the name of the sermon, by the way, Obedience Unto Maturity. I wanted to call it Spiritual Growth Sucks, but let's go with Obedience Unto Maturity. And becoming mature, becoming sanctified until we attain the full measure of Christ, until we are glorified with Christ, not because we did anything right, but because Jesus did. We reach eternity with God until we too are resurrected. We too have a resurrected body. We too spend eternity with God in the glory and radiance of God's only Son, worshiping our God without any more pain, no more sin, and no more death. Hallelujah. But we're in this life right now, and we get to mature consistently and progressively as we obey what the Spirit leads us to do through His Word. So Philippians chapter 2. Any of you guys work out? Okay, uh, I mean, you could like say it out loud because, okay, nine of you, fantastic. Okay, well, get rid of the pastries after service. All right, so Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, therefore, Paul says to the church in Philippi, my dear friends, as, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, if there's a verse that's been misquoted more times than not. Paul tells the church in Philippi to work out their salvation, not work for their salvation. That one word out makes all the difference. And so we need to understand that you and I are people that aren't working to attain righteousness. Righteousness was gifted to us through Jesus Christ so we can work out our salvation. We can do what God has told us to do. We are not working to attain. We've already attained it, and because of that, we can work out our salvation. Why? Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He didn't save you to have you just sit there. He saved you to grow you more into the likeness of Christ. And when you grow, God is active. When you were found righteous, God was active. It's not about you. It's about our God. And God not only adopts you, he grows you. Because according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. But... Honestly, sanctification is evidence of your adoption in the first place. It's evidence that the Holy Spirit resides in you because those who are justified, those who are made righteous, those who are saved are growing to look more like Jesus because we are made holy. We are made consecrated. We are set apart. Why? To grow. We are being purified by the refining work of the Spirit of God through our obedience to his word. This is the fundamental distinctive that makes what we are attempting to accomplish different than, say, a seeker-sensitive church. This is different. We are not just trying to build how many people attend. We're trying to build God's church by building the people because that is the church. 
We want to focus on growth more than we want to focus on information transfer. We want to focus on growth of the individuals more than we want to focus on the, indiv- the numeric growth of the organization. We want to focus on spiritual growth of those who are our responsibility, who have opted in, who've trusted the leadership of COV to help them grow into the likeness of Jesus more than they want to make a name for themselves. Hear me, church, like vision series are good and bad. The good part is you know what we're about. The bad part is you can't guess anymore. And because you can't guess, we're going to tell you we're about the gospel, growing to look more like Jesus, and we're about family and being together and doing this with one another because there is nothing more sanctifying than being together. doesn't mean we meet every day like this. Oh, that'd be, oh, gosh, no. That'd be too much. <laughs> but, we, but we meet. We connect. We do life together. I thank God that most of my weekend, actually all my weekend was spent with people that are sitting in this room. I praise God that I get to be refined as I spend time with you. As you spend time with me, we get to rub off on one another and be refined. This is why we offer community groups. This is why we focus on, hey, guys, jump into a community group. Talk more about the sermon. Don't just listen passively. Take notes. Whatever you heard, share it in your community group. Help one another rub off on one another for the glory of Christ. That's why we give this opportunity for connection and application in these groups as we meet in different homes in different places around the Bay Area to get together to spur one another on towards obeying what we hear through God's word. We also offer Bible studies, usually for different demographics within the church, so people at similar life stages can get around God's word together and grow and pray. We have different ministries that serve in this church, but they all have a specific bent to open God's word, and to pray together. Every single one of them. If you're like, well, how do I serve? Come talk to our tech ministry. You can be a part of engaging with the team. The the cool part is you'd be a part of all the things that we do as a leadership team to spur people on. You'd get to see behind the veil. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But it would be the opportunity for you to commit to put more time into helping a Sunday happen But it's not even about Sunday. What I appreciate about worship and tech ministry is Thursday night because when they get together to do a rehearsal for the music that we're going to do, guess what they do? They open the word of God and they pray together. And those people have the opportunity to spur one another on. We have a teaching team where we get together and we open the word of God because we want to develop teachers that actually have reverence to God and understanding that if you're going to open God's word, you're going to be judged more harshly. And so we work together to help one another out when it comes to making sure that what we're saying is from the word of God. We have an elder team that's actually going to meet tomorrow night and we're going to open the word of God and we're going to pray for all of you and for each other and we talk throughout the week and we do life together We have a children's ministry that does not just take care of your kids for an hour and a half. We have a children's ministry that point your children to Jesus. And I praise God for that, but it can't just be those that are serving. We are just developing them so us parents can pour more into our kids. We have a youth ministry that keeps growing because kids keep getting older, so there you go. Because we're... (laughs) Our, our children's ministry is out of control in the sense that, like, we are really good at that whole be fruitful and multiply thing here at this church. 
Yeah, we have lots and lots of female children in this church, so I, I don't know what to do about that, but Lord, you, do your thing. We have a youth ministry that wants to point these kids right now in the chapel towards Jesus Christ. They open the Word of God and they pray together. We have a staff that every single week meets. Guess what we do? Shocking. We open the Word of God and we pray together. Barbara Simmons, who's been on staff for 65 years. <laughs> I haven't done anything for 65 years because I'm 38. But other than that, <laughs> for 65 years she's been on staff, and I don't want to put words into her mouth, but she didn't rebuke me after I said this first service. She said that she's never been a part of a healthier time in this church than right now. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is moving, and we're opening, opening God's word, and we're praying together. So I encourage you to serve because serving with the right motives is the secret sauce to spiritual growth. We talk a lot about the tenets of discipleship. So all of our ministries kind of have this filter. Our community group leaders aim to help people in six things when it comes to meeting together one-on-one -on -one in ministries and community groups as a staff, as elders. Here it is. I'll run through them quickly. Teaching. We don't want to just instill information. We want to help the learner want to learn more. Accountability. We want to be in one another's lives. You know why? Check it. We do better if we know someone's watching. Did you guys know that? We want to do life on life because more is caught than taught. Mentorship. We want to give people the opportunity to ask advice from other people that maybe have been ahead of them, and so we encourage them to come to community groups and be a part of things and maybe ask advice from people that they're encouraged by. We focus on application because we don't want you to just hear the word. We want you to put it into practice. And lastly, we focus on measurement. Well, you shouldn't judge me. Well, God will. <laughs> and our job here is to help encourage you when we see growth. And so we measure. And we pay attention. And we look to see where maybe you were in this place, but over time, God has started to grow you. Because if you weren't growing and no one's asking questions, that's messed up. So we want to give people the opportunity to grow. But here's the thing about that list. We can offer opportunities in one-on-one -on -one discipleship, in ministries, in service opportunities, in community groups, and we can help each person get some of those things, but literally the responsibility falls on us personally as Christians. Do we want to grow? Because if we don't, we won't. If we don't want to grow, we will not grow. We won't look for opportunities to serve, won't look for opportunities to be accountable. We'll listen to podcasts throughout the week, but we won't obey what we learn from God's word on Sunday. With a vision for spiritual growth comes the heartache of growing pains. Usually when we think of growing pains in the church, we think uh, mostly about more people and more parking issues, or if you're my generation, you're thinking of a sitcom with Kirk Cameron. And we may think that growing pains is having to manage more and more people, but even though our community has grown a ton in the past few years, the growing pains are more about helping people learn how to spiritually crawl, spiritually walk, and spiritually run. And this isn't easy. This isn't instantly gratifying. And to be super honest, it's as frustrating as much as it is encouraging. But just because it isn't easy doesn't mean at all that it isn't God's will and work for this community. So we focus on relationships 
towards being disciplined students of Jesus and trust that if people would really engage in obeying Christ and becoming his disciple, they would grow to look more like him. So why does the vision of spiritual growth suck? Because the ministry will always be more about the people than the task. And people disappoint. And yet there's nothing more refining than being in relationship with one another. Tell the staff this all the time. The people are the ministry. The people are the ministry. So we make decisions as leadership based on helping all y'all, and not me, grow spiritually. So that means we are looking for people who evidently want to grow. We're looking to see if people want to be accountable. We're looking to see if people want to grow spiritually by being doers of the word and disciples of Jesus. We want to raise the bar, but we provide a ladder in community. We want to always be pointing you and I to how we can not just know more, but how we can apply more to our lives through obedience and see maturity in our Christ-likeness. We want to raise the bar of what we think church is. We want to get back to people being about obeying Christ through his word for the right reasons, but we know Rome was not built in a day. And we know it will require our submission to the Holy Spirit daily as he guides us in following Jesus Christ. So worship team, why don't you come on up? And I want to finish with the words of Paul in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. If you're looking for a name for your daughter, that's a good one. Thessalonica. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says this, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. So my question for you, church, is would you opt in? Will you say yes to growth? Will you see your trials as opportunities to praise the Lord? And will you go and get community through this community to grow more into the likeness of Jesus together? We need you. We need you to be willing to engage with one another. Let's pray.